Hi, I'm Paul Youngblood, and guest host for this uh, edition of a podcast with uh, my friend and colleague, Dr. Tom Fleming. And this, you know, to avoid the formality of, of what I had been doing radio, some of you may be familiar with, with my work with uh, radio broadcasting and, and, and Chronicles our, Unbound. Yes, yes. Our, our great show. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is obviously much more conversational, but it, but it's a joy to be here, Tom. And I think it's, it's a lot of fun to be talking about a lot of the topics that I think are important, yeah. you know, in today's world. And, you know, w- w- without wasting any time and just a lot of those trivialities, I think, you know, let's, let's just jump right in. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's important to note what the debate that just if you can let's if we can even call it that, but what it was and what it wasn't, yeah. it really lacked all the standard classic aspects of what debates really are meant yeah. to be. And right out of the gate, I thought this is a joke. It just started out as a joke. It was actually painful for me to stay with it, hmm. but I thought it was important because I it really was the first time that I'd ever he- heard. Both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton engaged together, but it was it was a, it was quite a joke. It was an exchange of uh, p- cliches and platitudes, stump speech fragments. Hillary several times used material that that she used in every in every speech. I, if I had been Trump, I would have said, "Gee, do your do your speechwriters get paid by the by the speech?" Or do they get residuals? Because that crack you just made, you've used about 300 times in the past two weeks. Yeah, it's absolutely. And and as I as we had talked about, you know, off mic here, Tom, Lester Holt seems like a nice enough guy. But, but when it came down to moderating this, he really wasn't the traffic cop that you need to be as a moderator. He, he seemed to be, well, he was overrun by Donald Trump's... Uh, Magnanimity. I mean, uh, you know, his his overbearing presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and as I heard you mention earlier, he 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 tended to be wanting to nitpick at facts. Yeah. Which that isn't the job yeah, of the moderator. No. no. And they and what you're, one of the things you're getting at, Paul, is the fact that uh, no really substantial issue was put on the table. Yeah. Other than some things about budget and spending and, uh, you know, economic issues. But, for example, the biggest threat this country has faced for, I would say, 15 to 20 years is it's the raw fact of the Islamic world declaring war on the United States and on the West. It happened long, started long before 9-11. It's been going on for decades. And uh, the fact that uh, Trump Trump will be straightforward on this, but he's just not coherent. Whereas uh, Mrs. Clinton has said that everybody has a right, regardless of race, religion, or politics, to enter the United States. And uh, her president, Barack Obama, will neither she nor he will actually use terms like Islamic terrorism. And, of course, the popular term is uh, extremist Islamic terrorism, and when asked about it, Obama says, well, it's, uh, it's inappropriate, it's misleading. This is a kind of invented, concocted issue. The issue of extreme Islam is something that I think President Obama likes to pour upon you know, the masses in this country, suggesting that, that these are folks that really don't represent Islam. Yeah. 
but quite the contrary. I mean, it, it, true adherents of Islam uh, not only want to destroy the West, but they want to destroy the apostate Muslim yes, too. Yeah, yeah. And and so the, and without apology whatsoever. Yeah, it's like it's like saying you know. A true pest exterminator would not actually be interested in exterminating, you know, the pests. A real orchid man would would trap the roaches and put and send them to a nice rest home somewhere for re-education. You know that <laughs> the serious Islam, as as revealed in the Quran and throughout is Muslim history, throughout their various books, it celebrates the person who takes innocent life for the sake of advancing his religion. That has to be true, because I've often wondered, when you hear these stories where uh, basically ISIS executioners are using these horribly inventive ways yeah. to torture and kill people, and, and this is to be celebrated? I think in the West we look at that and go, are you kidding me? How does people get attracted to that? But but what you're saying is that this is, this is the essence of what they are really meant to do. Yeah, it's it, it it's it's part and parcel of religion. Look, we have we have sadists in our in our society. We've had people who took jobs as torturers and really got got into it and really enjoyed it. But uh, but we just as often have people who say, well, if it's got to be done, it's got to be done. But uh, it's it's <laughs> no hard feelings. But to film these things, to exult in mass decapitations, the murder of children, the bombing of hospitals, I mean, it is, uh, it is, it is something extraordinary. It, it really is. And I, unfortunately, is it that the American people are just thinking, well, that's over there. But you know what? Over there is now over yeah, here. Yeah. And it hasn't quite manifest in the same way that we see what's going on over there. But I don't think we're that far away from that kind of thing here even, Tom. Well, we've had, you know, not, we have events constantly. You know, it's, there are websites like uh, Robert Spencer's Jihad Watch, which, which uh, keep, keep track of this. But, you know, usually it's not reported until things settle down. So, for example, a Turkish is Muslim immigrant uh, in the United States, in in uh, in uh, Seattle, mm -hmm. goes on, you know, attacks a group of people, and and we still we just don't know what motivated him. Well, yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, and, and every week there's something like this, and you say, well, uh, you're you're being unfair, you're being one-sided. Really, how many how many times do you read? about some militant Baptist from Texas traveling through Saudi Arabia and shooting up a shopping mall. You don't? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen. The Using the term extreme Islam, uh, the president's even been called out on it. Yeah. And he defends it as though... Well, I think he, he drapes it much like many Americans do, that this is a religious freedom issue. That once you start yeah. to attack them, aren't you uh, unnecessarily or unfair, unfairly targeting a, a group of well-meaning uh, Americans who are trying to live out the American dream? Yeah, yeah. What what he seen what what Obama has been saying, for example, is that um, 
First, when he, in, in his interview with Jake Tapper, that, the, that this issue has been invented, that is the idea that Muslims are peculiarly uh, prone to terrorism, because statistically it's just not true. They're very, they're, they, they've been involved in these activities for, uh, since the beginning of Islam, and certainly very actively in recent years. But secondly, he says, you know, it's like everybody has an equal right to live in America on the same terms. And he says this kind of thing all the time. He's even said things like, uh, Muslims have been with this country from its founding. Like, you know, like Jefferson was a secret Muslim or, you know, they were in the Revolutionary Army. Actually, the first encounter of, uh, of the United States with Muslims were the, the attacks of the Barbary pirates. Yeah, they were, these were terrorist attacks on American shipping designed to force the United States to pay, uh, to pay uh, bribes. You know, right. It was extortion. And time after time, that has been our relationship with the Islamic world. Yeah, it came very early. It came in, in, uh, in, uh, under, actually before Jefferson. And it's partly responsible for the development of the United States Navy because earlier we had not, we had been able to rely on the British Navy when we were part of the British Empire. But because of these Islam, uh, Muslim pirate ships and pirate states, uh, we, had, we had to develop our own Navy. And our, one of our first great military heroes, Stephen Decatur, you know, was, was, uh, became a hero in the, on the shores of Tripoli as the Marine him still celebrates. So our relationship with the Islamic world, it's not like, oh, well, there have been Protestants and Catholics. Yeah, there were Protestants and Catholics from the beginning, but there, there were very few Jews, a few, and no Muslims. Not any that were productive to no, the founding no. of this country. Well, if you will, only only in the sense that they were they were trying they were trying to rob st and kill uh, American merchant uh, seamen. Yeah. Now it's my understanding Jefferson even ordered a no holds barred destruction of the of those pirates as yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, it was like you show no mercy to yeah. these folks yeah. because they're destroying. Uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity to segue into the uh, the aspect of. Um, lawsuits against Saudi Arabia. Because I think early on, I, re I recognized that these pilots that attacked 9-11 were, were from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And I thought, okay, what is really going on here? Now, that was in the infancy of my understanding of this, this entire culture. But it was quickly identified that Osama bin Laden was behind it. I had never even heard that name, yeah. but they knew who he was yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for quite a while. Here we are, where the president thinks it's a bad idea. He vetoes the idea that Americans who were victims, if you will, of the 9-11 uh, incident would be able to sue Saudi Arabia. And that was overturned, the first veto of its kind, in Congress. That's pretty remarkable, Tom. And I think it opens up a can of worms myself. However, I think it also mirrors what is going on in this country that a lot of Americans are kind of fed up yeah, yeah. With, with this idea that... The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny thing because normally states do have immunity. We have, you know, for example, uh, uh, Saudi diplomats in the United States have diplomatic immunity. Obviously, not all Muslim states act that way. I mean, the revolutionary Iran, which was turning into an Islamic state, of course, uh, kidnapped uh, American diplomatic personnel. But uh, in, the, in, in, this, in, this, in this case, I, I don't know that anything practical much is going to come of it, 
But what, what, what members of Congress reacting to popular pressure, what they're saying is, they're saying, on the one hand, the Saudi government is fomenting Islamic militancy, both in the United States and everywhere. Of course, we have these radical uh, madrasas, we have these radical Islamic schools, especially in Virginia and the Washington, D.C. area, teaching people to hate Christianity, people to hate the West. Either they're being funded by the Saudis, or book publications which are Christian-hating, Jew-hating, and hating of the West. They're being funded by the Saudis. The Saudis fund various Muslim charities that are, that are involved, on, on, that have another side, which is to be involved in, in terrorism. So they are, they are a state sponsor of these, these activities and sh should be held accountable. Of course, on the other hand, on the other hand, Congress in the same act votes to expand military, uh, uh, our military uh, uh, sales to Saudi Arabia. I mean, frankly, isn't it more important to stop them from getting our, our military equipment than it is to allow people to sue them? So we, we blow hot and cold. I mean, it's frankly, it's a, it's what we have to, un we have to get something very straight in our head. The Saudi state, despite the cordial relationship ship between, say, the Bush family and the Bin Laden family, you remember George H.W. Bush made sure that all the high-ranking Bin Ladens after 9-11 were hustled out of the country under guard for safety so they, they, they would face no reprisals. Because, because the Bush had been head of the CIA, after all. He knew exactly what's going on here. So, Plus, they had oil connections. Yes, of course. Of course oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 I mean, the, 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 that's, where the, that's where the friendship between the Bushes and Bin Laden's comes in. It's through oil and the whole... So you have an American elite class that has, is deep into partnership with these, with these sponsors, state sponsors of terror, not just Saudi Arabia, some of the Gulf Emirates, just across the board with, with Pakistan, and uh, which we, we have refused to discipline the Pakis for decade after decade after decade, and sided with, uh, sided with Pakistan against India. So, uh, so we, to gain votes, Republicans and Democrats say, okay, now you can sue. And this is, which is a, oh, it's a nice symbolic issue, whether, whether it'll result in anything practical or not. But then, but then they're going to sell them more weapons? Well, it really is oxymoronic with, with a heavy on the moronic, yeah. in a sense, because we as the, the uh, country have been bedfellows with Saudi Arabia yeah, for yeah. a long, yeah, long time. Yeah. Because I think from a military standpoint, we recognize the strategic importance to have that kind of a yeah, presence yeah. in the Middle East. What would Saudi, could Saudi Arabia really say, you know what, let's boot the Americans out of here? Would they, would they even think of doing yeah, such a can. thing? I don't they think can. they can. If it weren't for us, they'd be out of business. They'd be overthrown domestically because they, the, the, the regime is not popular with its people. And by the way, they used to spend a lot of money on the people, but now that they've run out of money, they're not, they're not spending it. It's an economic basket case. Yeah, they're, they're being put on a diet uh, yeah. for sure. And Trump touched upon that, and I thought he was onto something, but like so many of those aspects in the debate, they didn't really follow through very well. But when Trump was saying that we need to pull back from all our support around the world, we're basically uh, the babysitters for yeah. Japan and yeah. in Germany yeah. and the EU, et cetera, et cetera. We can't.
can't afford this kind no. of stuff. Though. First of all, we wonder why. Why did Japan and Germany have such a good economic track record? Well, we we paid. We 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 essentially defended them decade after decade since 1945. Now the Japanese, I I know from a variety of sources, the Japanese actually have a very good defense establishment. <clears throat> of course, it's not never to be used except uh, you know to defend Japan from from invasion. But really, uh. Treaties that we signed requiring them to, uh, not to have a more aggressive defense force, those can, those can, those can just simply be abrogated. We just said, well, that's no longer true. Defend yourself. Because the Japanese, considering their enormous, their, their technological cleverness and the power of their economy, they, could, they should be our right hand in East Asia, not China. China's a rogue state that we have every reason to be afraid of. I agree. And I would say until Angela Merkel became uh, <laughs> head of the German state, I would have said we could have done the same thing with the Germans, but they have to get their act together, throw her out as pre preparatory to throwing the Islamic invaders out. Yeah, d that's an interesting distinction between, you know, Germany and Japan. Yeah. And those two are important because yeah. those are both post-war babies yeah. of this whole thing. But Germany has, has now dealing with the Muslim invasion, yeah. too. yeah. And, and well, they created this problem. I mean, I mean, basically, Merkel, in 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 some sort of weird conspiracy with Erdogan in Turkey, I, and I, I don't know what the terms of the deal are. I know they had meetings, and they continue to hold meetings. And somehow, I think she thought, if uh, if the if Europe took the pressure of some of these uh, refugees and exiles, who were a majority of them were living in Turkey. They didn't. They, these people aren't coming from Syria and places like mm -hmm. that. They're come, they, they went first to Turkey, where they'd been for six months, a year, two years, and then they they came in. So Turkey has has made out by this. It's been a, it's been a great thing for them. But what does the West get out of it? What did they What did they pay Merkel? What did What did What did she think? I asked some some Greek journalists about this, and their answer was. She, Communism is a disease from which no one recovers. And remember, she was a party member. She was uh, she was in the communist youth. That she was very she was she was an active communist. And if you're a communist, you don't believe in distinctions of religion, ethnicity, nationality, because what you want is a global state. And clearly, that loony dream of Marx and Engels is still alive and well in Angela Merkel. On the flip side, Japan has never had to deal with that, and they're no. one of the most homogenous yeah. nations in the entire world. Yeah, and, and by the way, they look, they look down on everybody. That's one of the great things, because people lecturing us about race relations. The Japanese, you know, during World War One, they behaved abominably to the Chinese and to the Koreans and the Filipinos. And to the, even to this day, uh, they, you know, in, in, as far as they're concerned, it's almost, if you've been a Korean... Living in Japan for three generations, you're not a citizen. You're never going to be a citizen. It's like Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We, we'll allow you all to be guest workers, yeah, but then, yeah. you know, at, at the, when the uh, midnight bell hits, you know. I you once had a guy, he was being sent around by Voice of America. He was a young Swiss journalist, and he came to my office. And we were talking, and he started berating me about uh, American immigration policies. And I said, yeah, I said, this is coming great from a Swiss I said, you know, I, I, if I were a 20-year-old nuclear physicist 
What's the likelihood who loved Switzerland, you wouldn't let me become a citizen? I said, I know somebody who is a distinguished professor and his children have served in the Swiss army and they st they've been turned on for citizenship three times. So how is he lecturing you on yeah. immigration? I said, you have, I said, how about this? We'll trade policies. We'll take the Swiss policy. <laughs> then we won't have any immigrants. <laughs> You know, wow. he, he went back and complained to Voice of America that I was rude to him. He gets to come to our country and ridicule us for, for policies where we are, where we're the softball player and the Swiss are the number one hardball player. Well, there but for thee, not me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you, let's, let's go on to something a little bit more lighthearted, but I still think it's, it's part of the problem with our... Um, we're just not wanting to recognize the, the the real essence of the issues here, but the absurdity of, uh, in this case, the football players who refuse to stand for the national anthem or yeah. pledge of allegiance. Yeah. This is becoming such a big deal. It's gotten to the point for me, Tom, that I only care when the kickoff starts. I don't. I don't really want to involve myself with the beginnings of, of this kind of thing because this is where we're going. But what is this? It's a bunch of spoiled rich kids that think they have a platform? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, you know, especially uh, some of the ringleaders, they're, it, it, they act as if they, they get to be made rich by uh, playing in the NFL. The, the, the wealth comes from ordinary you know, sort of God-fearing, flag-waving, middle American males, and uh, they're to be ridiculed and despised because they love their country. Now, and so you get to take the money and spit in the face of the people who are paying you the money. I, there, there's a famous, there's a Nobel Prize winning physicist in Texas who spends all his off hours ridiculing Christianity. Well, his income is subsidized by, by Baptists in Texas. You think you'd have a little more respect, but these 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 spoiled brats in the NFL, and it's spreading. It's spreading to college football, high school football, like the the NFL. What's well, becoming you know, a, almost an in thing to do? Oh, absolutely! It's the fashion. So the you, the NFL tells them how they could not only what clothes they wear, but how they can wear them, how they can tuck their shirt in, what color shoes they wear, how they can behave, what they can say, what they can do. But but. It, when it comes to somebody expressing hostility and contempt for the, the, for the United States and its traditions, well, oh, that's different. That's free speech. Let, let, let's advance this thought, Tom, because I've thought about this. What do they really want? Now, are they suggesting that, well, the system within our country can be modified to uh, accommodate them? Or do they want to just chuck it all and flush it down the toilet? And ha Because really, the option at that point, Tom, is anarchy, yeah. isn't it? it well, wouldn't it be worse for them at that point? You, you would think if, they, if, they had, if these people have their way, there wouldn't be an American economy that could subsidize this ridiculous sport. Right. But, look... They're, they're tied in. The whole, their, their attitude has been created by the media in combination with, say, the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. So in, in the, what, is the, what is the essence of Black Lives Matter? The essence is that no matter what a thug does, he pulls a gun, he robs a store, he refuses to arrest, he won't stop, he won't put a weapon down. And if a policeman shoots him, it's the policeman's fault. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all the problems, all the problems in the black community are the problems of 
ugly white policemen. And you say, well, gee, if you look at the number of black men killed in America, it's about one in a thousand that are killed by the cops. All the rest are killed by other black men. Is it, is it really? Shouldn't this guy be de- standing up and denouncing Malcolm X and, all the, and, and, and Al Sharpton? Those are the people who have created the thug mentality in the, in the inner cities. So the whole, they, they, want, they want to play revolution on the cheap. You know, I get to show my contempt for you. I get to spit on your flag, and and and, and at the same the, time go yeah, to Bank of America and cash exactly, my paycheck. Exactly, and take no no consequences at all. The uh, one of the things that bothers me about this, of course, is that all this all this flag worship and national anthem ecstasy, this this started really in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, the federal government, you know, Franklin Roosevelt was a big admirer of Mussolini. And, uh, and, you know, fascism creates this, you know, and, and at the same time, also Stalin. So they have the, the, the monumental architecture, the ugly kind of buildings we have in <laughs> D.C. The, you know, here in Rockford, you, you drive through uh, that, that intersection on uh, State Street and uh, Auburn. There's a flag there the size of my house. Oh, I know. It's huge. And you it's, can see it for miles. Yeah, it's yeah. terrifying. It's terrifying. It's, it would, it would, you know, it would... Uh, Cause spontaneous uh, uh, abortion in in any kind of animals that walk by, and, and the whole point is to create this this illusion of we're we're the greatest, we're the toughest, we're the biggest, and it's it was it was really very unfortunate, and uh, and we we need to back off on that, but backing becoming a little kinder and gentler and less aggressive about about sticking our national symbols in everybody's face that's one thing internally if you don't want to respect your country and its traditions and symbols well the door swings both ways yeah. But they're not. But when it comes down to brass tacks, yeah. they're not going to leave. No, they're not serious at all. And even the ones that say, "If Trump was elected, I'm yeah. taking advantage of my exit papers and leaving the country." If only we could hold them to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you promise? Can yeah. We, yeah. yeah. Is that going to happen? No. Um, well, I see our time is is narrowing yeah. down here. I mean, it's not exactly you know the the half hour that we'd first talked. But you know, at this point, I think it, it is important to let everybody know that most of these episodes that you're listening to are usually only available to Golden Charter members. That's right. But you said uh, that we're making this program, uh, bonus program, free for our visitors to the website, That's Fleming right. Foundation. So, you know, for those of you that, you know, have friends that want to check this out, they can do that without having to make a commitment. But, uh, uh, you know, this, this has been enjoyable, Tom. Well, this is the first of what I hope will be uh, many relaxed, spontaneous conversations. We, we, have a, we had a long habit of, of working together and doing shows together. And, um, you know, we do some very formal programs about uh, Greek tragedy or uh, deep moral issues. And it's great to have a show where we can just uh, talk about the things that have been going on this week. In future shows, we might bring in a third party, the uh, you know our colleague Easton or some of our friends around here. We might do it in the evening. We're even thinking about uh, reviving a famous institution at WLS Radio. Remember the Knarble Wagon? No, I am yeah, not familiar with would, that. They would. They would. They would. It was when uh, uh, Rokon and these couple of guys would sit around, and on Friday. You know, during the drive time, five o'clock, so they would have a, somebody would bring in a, a cart with bottles of liquor, 
and they'd bring in a guest bartender from okay. one of the one of the saloons in Chicago, and uh, the the uh, I guess it's Jim Johnson came up with the title because he said, uh, you know, in Wisconsin as the as the night goes on. By the end of the evening, all, and all you can hear in the bar is people saying "carnival, carnival, carnival." <laughs> so they called it the Carnival Wagon, and uh, I think that's an institution that needs reviving. And, and I think it would be pretty exciting because who, you can only imagine where the conversation would go yeah. at that point, yeah. you know, after that type of thing. But um, this program has been a presentation of the Fleming Foundation, and all rights are reserved. And again, we'd like to thank our Gold and Charter subscribers uh, for making this possible. And uh, Tom, this has been fun. It's been a while. I don't know exactly when it was that, that we were doing this on the radio, but this this is much more relaxed. And it is fun, as you say, to be talking about things of current events. Yeah. And uh, obviously, issues related to politics and the presidential run is is huge in the current events. And there's no shortage of material there. Absolutely. And let me I'll make a, a, an offer to uh, to people who regularly read our listen to our podcast and read our stuff. Send in to the website questions or topics you want to see discussed in future shows, and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll either keep it anonymous or or read it on the air. Yeah, no, that would be a lot of fun. And uh, for the Fleming Foundation, I'm Paul Youngblood with uh, Dr. Tom Fleming. Have a great day. All right, that is, as they say, a wrap. Yeah.